First Peter chapter 2 this morning, I'd like to, uh, uh, to speak to you God's word in the first 12 verses of this chapter. Um, I've titled our study, Marks of a Healthy Disciple. And uh, it's the primary context of this passage is not to teach healthy discipleship. I'm going to show you the greater context, but you do find within this context tremendous uh, marks of a healthy disciple. If you're a born-again believer here this morning, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And to be a healthy disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a healthy Christian, we see a number of things um, delineated through this passage, and I'd like to walk you through those, and it'll be a great challenge this morning. The context of 1 Peter, it's been a while since we've studied through 1 Peter, several years ago. Um, but those of you maybe not be familiar, let me catch you up to speed a little bit of what this little epistle is, um, purpose of uh, why it was written, who it was written to, and so on and so forth. Peter um, wrote this letter to a group of Christians. It was not to one specific church only, but it was a group of Christians that had been scattered throughout the northern areas of, of Asia Minor. And as he's writing to these Christians in the time of this, the historical setting of this, you see that in his letter he spoke a, a much about persecution. Christians were in the middle of being persecuted. There were tremendous afflictions and trials. There were waves of difficulty in their lives. They were living under uh, a, a, a tyranny of government under persecution for Christianity, being dispersed and pushed out of what was normal, having to survive and change the ways of living, but then they were being exhorted to live as healthy Christians in the middle of all of this. Peter spoke a lot about persecution in 1 Peter. You'll find that. It's an encouraging, a, a tremendous letter. You might, it's, it's short enough. You might even just read through it several times this week, maybe even today, meditating on the things that we've, you've seen here, particularly this morning. Peter wrote to Christians about persecution, but he also anticipated the persecution that he and other Christians would endure. Not only what is going on right now, but what they would continue to endure, the things that would increase, and how persecution would continue to get worse in their lives. And so for you and me as 21st century Christians today, the truth is very much still the same. What Peter is talking about is for us today as well as Christians. First Peter focuses on the importance of believers, you and me, Christians, bearing up under unjust suffering, and yet, in the middle of that, continuing to live well, to thrive in our healthy Christianity as healthy disciples. You look at chapter 2 and verse 20, um, it says, For what glory is it if when ye... Uh, be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. It's not God's will that there's an absence of all suffering in life right now. That's, that's not the, God's plan, for, and he's not cruel in that, in this time and stage in life, in this period of time. But in the midst of suffering, when suffering comes, it is not a this sounds kind of hard to swallow. You ready? It's not an excuse to not be a healthy, growing Christian. 
We never have an excuse to be unhealthy. And, and Peter doesn't leave us, as well as the rest of Scripture, especially the New Testament, does not leave us without guidelines on how to live a healthy life as a Christian in the midst of suffering. The endurance that Peter calls believers to is similar to Job's experience. Do you remember Job in the Old Testament? It's the, it's the epitome of a, a study of suffering, of, uh, studying Job. He was a man who suffered despite his righteousness. Even being a righteous, obedient Christian, we will suffer. Jesus told his disciples this. He, we are, we are um, reminded of this or made aware of this in his word today. In the midst of suffering, we are called to live righteous. We are called to live healthy. And Peter maintained that this was the kind of true perseverance that God expects from his people today. The apostle called believers to, um, it says in chapter 3, verses 14, 15, 16, 17, uh, I'll turn your attention there for a moment. The apostle called believers to sanctify the Lord God, to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts so that when opposition and persecution arises for being a Christian, we might be ready to witness why we handle the suffering the way that we do. So the world sees Christians going through traumatic times, when tragedy happens, when difficulties are happening, when we have waves of emotions and, and, and we are in a dark place as far as how our emotions are responding. When the world sees us respond obediently and, 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 and in a way that shows that we have tremendous faith and joy and a firm foundation in our Lord and Savior and His faithful promises, the world goes, why? How can you, how do you handle afflictions like this? And in our very response, we're able to give an answer because of what Christ has done for us, who our Lord is to us, because who God is. We must be ready to witness why we are willing to endure opposition with a pleasant spirit our pleasant spirit in response to opposition in our life is a testimony and it is a witness of Jesus Christ. Look over at chapter 3. I'm going to read this portion, just give you some context yet still. Chapter 3 in 1 Peter, beginning in verse 14. Look at these words with me. Peter says, But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Verse 16, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. That's your conduct, your behavior. For it is better... If the will of God be so that you suffer for will for well doing than for evil doing. It is the will of God that we suffer for the right purposes and we respond to suffering in the right ways. How do you react when suffering comes? <laughs> it's a rhetorical question this morning. Consider that. How do you react when suffering comes your way? Peter's encouragement to his Christian readers, Peter's encouragement to us as he writes and we read, 
is one of perseverance and faith. That is the, the, the overall theme of First Peter. Perseverance in faith regardless of the suffering and the circumstances that we experience in this life. That is the message of First Peter if you had to sum it up in such a, a, a small way. It isn't enough for us to just simply um, get up in the morning and slog through each day and say, I made it, one more day down, a couple more, then we got the weekend and we'll start all over again. That is not the way we have been called to live as Christians. To just slog through and survive each day. Neither is it suitable to, pass, to, to uh, just plaster on our face an artificial superficial smile and just, well, <laughs> I'm joyful because I'm a Christian, but inside you're like, ah, an old curmudgeon, right? You know, we chuckle at it because it's, we, we experience this. We, we're challenged with this, right? That's not God's plan for us. Instead, Peter exhorts believers to push through the troubles to recognize, recognizing the, the, the temporal setting of tr- the, 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 the temporal state of troubles in this world. It will not last forever. Trouble will not always exist, right? We believe in heaven. We believe in, 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 in being um, in the presence with our Lord, absent from sin and from suffering and from affliction and from aching, hurting bodies and hearts. It won't last forever. With this knowledge, we are to persevere. We're to exhort each other as, as Peter exhorts us. The temporary presence of afflictions in our lives while walking in holiness and hope. This is the greater context of 1 Peter. Okay, So hopefully this built a little bit of a framework of 1 Peter because we're going to look at one portion of that this morning. But now as we zoom in and focus the lens a little bit more on chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, I want to turn your attention to these tremendous truths we find in this. This is this great challenge for us this morning. We see these marks of a healthy disciple. So within the primary context of our passage this morning, we find several marks of a healthy disciple. A healthy disciple. Let's understand some terms and words this morning real quickly, okay? A healthy disciple of Jesus Christ is a discipler. A healthy disciple. What's a disciple? A follower of Jesus Christ, or a follower of someone, in this case, Jesus Christ. So uh, if, we're, if you're a born-again Christian, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're a healthy follower of Jesus Christ, then you are also actively doing what God has called you to do as a disciple, and that is to make disciples, so we call it a discipler. Okay? So a healthy disciple is one who is making other disciples a discipler. God's plan for his healthy disciples. So this is God's plan for you, Christian. This is God's plan for me. This is God's plan for Calvary Baptist Church. Our God's plan for his healthy disciples is to be making other disciples. So in the midst of this wonderful little letter about perseverance and faith, no matter the affliction, what's going on, we see these marks of one who is living healthily in the midst of, of a difficult world, in the middle of affliction, in the middle of hardship. God still expects us to live healthily as disciples who are actively making other disciples. So let's look at the Word. Let's look at God's Word, and let's identify several marks of a healthy disciple. All right, that's, that's what we're going to look at this morning. 
Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time before we get any further. Bow your heads with me this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage and, and, and your direction and guidance. I pray for understanding, and I ask that, uh, 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 that your spirit, the Holy Spirit, would do a great work in our hearts, granting us understanding and, and, and convicting us where we have fallen short in being disciplers. Lord, maybe some of us this morning will be in prayer, in repentant prayer. Lord, forgive me, I am not actively being a discipler. Maybe prayer this morning might encourage others. Whatever way, Lord, I pray that you would lead and that you would direct response this morning. May may we do more than hear your word, but put it into practice. Lord, as we recognize this being your very word, your will for us, pray that we would receive it with that understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 here, we see number one, a healthy disciple is a growing discipler. A healthy disciple is a growing discipler. Look at verse 1 with me. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking. It's a pretty negative verse here. It's, talking, it's, it's, it's looking at things negatively. It's a good thing. We're to be putting these things aside. So right out of the gate, a healthy disciple is one who puts these things aside. We can't call ourselves healthy and be doing these things that we are to be divorcing from our behavior. The, the Bible uses the word conversation, which is our conduct, our, how we carry ourselves, what we do from day to day. So we are to lay aside sin. The, the new life of holy conduct and the new relationship of sincere love for the brethren, which is the preceding context in chapter 1, the verses that lead up to chapter 2. Okay, it's, it's about loving God, loving His Word, and loving others, living in holiness. So in the new life of being born again, we have this new life of walking in holiness. As, uh, verse uh, uh, 16 of chapter 1 says, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's our call. That's the conduct that we have, this new living that we have. That type of living, that type of relationship of sincere love for for others, for the other Christians, is completely incompatible with certain attitudes and actions. It's completely incompatible. To call ourselves a healthy discipler, a healthy disciple, and to be doing the very things that verse 1 says here in chapter 2 is completely not the same thing. It's hypocrisy. So as born-again believers, we are to lay aside certain actions that displease God. So this is pretty clear. It doesn't take a whole lot of understanding to grasp what Peter's saying. Let Let me put it to you maybe very bluntly this morning. This is what the text says. Christians, don't do these things. And here's the list of things. All malice, all forms of malice, anything like like it. This list is not to be, uh, is not to be, Read as just these three area, these three areas, but this is a list that 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 is in that it implies anything like these things. So number one, all malice. What is malice? Well, it's wickedness or it's evil conduct, any form of wickedness, any form of evil in our lives. Put it away. All guile, guile. What is guile? We don't speak of guile very often in our English vernacular today, but guile, all guile, that's the idea of any deceit or any acts of hypocrisy, whether intentional or ignorant. We are to put these things away from us. All evil speakings, 
evil speakings can include anything that is defaming another, slandering another believer, telling a false truth, or saying things to run down someone else. We're to put these things away. We go, oh, that's pretty good. We, we get this. We know these things. We're Christians. We've read the Bible. We understand we shouldn't do these things. We need to understand that a healthy disciple is a growing discipler. And in growing, if we are to, to, to give a testimony of, yes, we are growing, well, then a growing disciple lays aside sin. A person cannot love God and still permit or indulge habitually in sinful practices. Are we perfect? No, we're not. Can we be perfect? One day, not on this side of heaven. But can we, are we called to live perfect lives like our Lord is? Are we called to be holy as He is holy? Yes, that is, that is our goal. That is what we are called to do. And by the Lord's grace and His mercy and His empowering our lives, we are to work towards that. Neither can we love one another while entering actions contrary to our um, fellow Christians. A person cannot say in one hand, oh, I love God, and continually be in these practices of malice, guile, and evil speakings. You know, when the church is at conflict with itself, whether that be Calvary Baptist Church, whether that be anywhere in the body of Christ, but when, when a church, let's think about the ecclesiastical setting of a local church. When a local church is at conflict with itself, and it may not always be obvious and seen, but when there's conflict amongst believers in a church, when there's conflict going on with itself, the church cannot expect to be making disciples. We can't sit here and expect, oh, Calvary Baptist Church, isn't this great? We're, we're disciples, making disciples. We're disciplers. We're active in that. Lord, please help us make more disciples. Why isn't the congregation growing? And when the root of the problem is, you might look closer and find that if we're at conflict, we cannot be expecting to be making disciples and living healthily. A healthy disciple is a growing discipler. And so a healthy discipler is one who is growing and laying aside sin, putting that sin behind us. But then also on a positive note, look at verse 2. A healthy discipler is one who desires the Word of God. One who desires the very Word of God. As newborn babes desire, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Peter's just demonstrated the glory and the eternal character of God's Word. Where? Look back a couple of verses. Look at verse 23, 24, 25 of chapter 1. Peter has just finished declaring truths about the Scriptures, about God's Word. Look at them. with Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Does God's word stand through the ages? Yes, it does. God's word is eternal. It abideth forever. Verse 24. For all flesh is as grass, and all glory of man as flower of grass. The brevity of things of this world, carnality. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. And so just having explained this, and even in these verses here, now in chapter 2 he's speaking about desiring this very eternal 
Word of God. How? What kind of desire are you talking about? And he uses this illustration as a baby that desires a sincere, uh, the, the, the milk, right? We all know what it's like to, for children to desire food when they're hungry. Some of us to this day get a little hangry from time to time. And we know what it's like to desire good food, especially when a pastor talks about it on Sunday right before lunch. No amens there? Good. All right. Now, therefore, here in verse, verse 2, look at, the, uh, look, at the, look at this. Verse 2. In light of what God's word is, we should receive the word and receive it with a particular heart. What sort of heart? How are we to respond to the eternal word of God? Believers are to desire the sincere milk of the word. Just as a baby cries out for milk. Now, don't start crying out and screaming here this morning. But we ought to manifest, we ought to possess and be growing in our desire for the word of God. Aren't we? We're to desire it. Just as a babe would desire milk, we're to desire the milk of God's Word. We should receive the Word, and we should receive it in a heart of, uh, of desire. The word desire is a very strong word, by the way. Desire is a strong word in English, but also the original word from which we get the word desire here in this, in this translation, we, the word desire is strong. The word is, for desire is used for man's deepest longing for God. A deep longing for God in his word. The psalmist writes very well and explains it, articulates this desire very well in Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants... For the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. And the idea is a deer that is being pushed or, or chased or, or, or exhausted and it's trying to make it to that water and the mouth is drying, the breathing is heavy and the tongue is hanging out. And just as we would desire that thirst-quenching water in the brook, so my soul desires the Word of God. That's the desire that Peter is speaking here. A healthy disciple is a growing discipler, and that health comes from laying aside sin and desiring the Word of God. If we want to be effective disciplers, we want to be effective in making disciples and developing other followers of Jesus Christ, but yet we do not, but we lack a desire of God's Word. We are not a healthy and we are not an effective discipler. This desire can grow over time. Let me encourage you this way. This morning you're going, Pastor, I just am <laughs> full of mission here. You're not raising your hand or anything, but I, I just don't, I don't think I desire God's word enough. You know what I say to that? Be encouraged in getting God's word. Because if you're a truly born again believer, that desire, listen to this, that desire will grow and it will develop as you intentionally spend time in God's Word. If you are a genuine, born-again believer here this morning, do not give up. Continue being God's Word, and you will continue to develop. Ask God to develop that heart, that desire, that hunger. Spend time with those that have a hunger and desire, and God will develop that desire in your heart. 
that you may grow by it thereby. So out of a desire of God's word, out of spending time in God's word, then Peter says that you may grow thereby. God's word is necessary for the growth of a disciple. God's word is necessary for David to grow. God's word is necessary for you to grow. We cannot expect growth. We cannot expect spiritual health in an absence from God's word. It is designed for our health and for our growth. It is God's will for us in that way. God's word is necessary for the growth of a disciple, and we should all desire the pure milk of the word. Even though the Apostle Paul in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2, rebukes the Corinthians for being able to only receive milk, that's not a contradiction of desiring the milk of the word here. That's a contradiction of them plateauing and not growing and maturing in Christ. So even though he, he, he scolds them for this and rebukes them for this, the Christian today, listen, should never get tired of the simple truths of the gospel. May any one of us as Christians never once go, oh, come on, that's just, that's below me. I started there once, you know, that's a simple truth of God's word. I need the meat, I need the T-bone and steak of the word of God. That may be true, but may we never grow old of the simple truths of the basic gospel of Jesus Christ. May it always ignite our hearts. May it always encourage us. May we always be joyful when we hear the simple, young salvation testimony of a child when a brand new individual, an adult maybe, comes to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and for the first time ever, they may put us to shame with the joy of, this is true? Jesus loves me? Amen. May we never go tired of the simple truths of God's Word. So I ask you a question by way of application. Do you desire the Word of God? I wonder if you'd ask yourself that this morning, maybe in prayer before God. He sees and knows your heart. Will you pour your heart out to Him? Whatever the answer may be, ask yourself, do I desire the Word of God? I encourage you, if not, maybe your answer is, no, I don't think I desire the Word of God as much as I should. What will you do to develop that desire? How will you speak to God this morning, Lord, to work to develop that desire, kindle that fire within me to desire the Word of God and put the time in the Word of God. Verse 3 says, If so be have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Dear Christian, when you taste the grace of God in your life, when you taste and experience God's grace in your life, you find out that He satisfies. You begin to understand and see clearly that satisfaction only, true satisfaction only comes from God through His grace. And that assurance prompts you towards holy living. Remember the worship in spirit and truth? A revelation of God prompts us to respond in spirit and truth. Peter shows us that growth is a mark of a healthy disciple. We see that this morning. We see that in the middle of this, the context of this passage here. And growth is accomplished by laying aside sin and desiring the word. Only then may we become healthy, growing disciples. But number two this morning, 
Number two, another mark of a healthy disciple is a healthy disciple understands the building materials involved in discipleship. So a healthy, growing disciple understands the building materials in discipleship. Those of you builders here this morning, I know there's some here that are builders. Some are architects and have done building before. You would understand these terms greater than I would. But let me remind you of some terms this morning. We need to understand, number one, as a healthy disciple, in verse 5, we need to understand the building's superstructure. The building's superstructure. Verse 5 says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house. So the building we're talking about here is a metaphor speaking of a spiritual building. A spiritual building, the body of Jesus Christ. The spiritual house, a holy priesthood, in reference to that, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. The building's superstructure. These, these are, this is material number one, if we're going to call it that. The portion of the building we understand. Peter calls these believers living stones. We're referred to as living stones. Because he was talking about them as a living house, a spiritual house. So Peter's picture here is that God is building a spiritual building. And as we are included in that plan of making disciples, we are included in that plan of of being part of this building process. And these living stones made up God's spiritual house, his body. You might note in your margin or note in your notes that Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Ephesians 1, 22, 23. Speaking of his body. So the building's superstructure is that which is above the foundation. The part that is seen, the part that is above the foundation. And we live because we are connected with him who is the source of life. We're connected to the foundation, Jesus Christ, the, the, the chief cornerstone, as we'll see here in the next verses. We'll jump back to four in just a moment. One theologian said this way, it is in union with him that they live as stones of a building. The stones of the building are of no use, but as they occupy their proper place in a building and rest on the foundation. The superstructure doesn't have any integrity and it is no good if it is not rightly established and built correctly on the building's substructure. And so then you go back to verse 4 and you see here, to whom coming as unto living stones, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Now we turn to understand the building's substructure. So it's a little bit flipped here. We'd obviously build the substructure, the foundation, the footings first, to make sure those are strong and well-built. Then the superstructure of the building is built on top of that. Then you look at verse 6, 7, and 8. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scriptures, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which is disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. Verse 8. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. 
These verses, verses 4, 6, 7, and 8, speak of the building substructure. And so Peter, quoting from an Old Testament passage in Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16, Peter's speaking of Christ as the chief cornerstone and the head cornerstone. And the building built on the eternal rock will never fail, as is noted in Matthew 16 and verse 18. A true, growing, healthy disciple understands the materials and the discipleship process, and that is the superstructure, the building. We, as believers, the Christ body, are built on the foundation, the chief cornerstone, the headstone, Jesus Christ. And then there's reference here, and we see, like in verse 4, the rejected stone, understanding these things. Instead of glossing over them, let me point out several things. The rejected stone we see in verse 4. Christ was repudiated and he was rejected because he did not measure up to, to the expectation of the Jews at the time. We want to be freed. We want, we want somebody to, have, um, uh, to, to, to overthrow the tyranny, to, to rectify the government, to give us easy living in life and to correct these things in our lives, physically speaking. And they, they were misguided. They were, un, they, they were misunderstood. They were getting it wrong. And so when he came and he offered spiritual building, and he talked about building a spiritual building, they felt as if he did not measure up to what Israel wanted. You look at John chapter 1 and verse 11. And some did accept the stone. There were some that did accept him and did understand, but the stone was ultimately rejected by the nation of Israel. In verse 6, we see the, the cornerstone, the, 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 the chief cornerstone. Christ is just not one of many stones. He's not just one of the bigger, stronger stones in the pile that's used in the building. He is the chief cornerstone. That which, if it was removed, the whole building would fall. Jesus Christ, the head of the church, is the chief cornerstone. Paul expressed in Ephesians chapter 2, and verse 20, that Jesus Christ himself was the chief cornerstone. And compliments was being said here in 1 Peter as well. Christ is not only the solid rock foundation. We sing of that in our hymns, right? On the solid rock. He's not only the solid rock foundation on which the whole structure is built, but he is also the stone that holds and unites together all the living stones as we abide in him and are connected to him. A precious stone he is also. A precious stone. In verses 6 and 7, as we just read, last part of verse 6 and into 7, because God is pleased with his, his elect, his, his precious son, those who are his by faith shall never be confounded or be put to shame. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will never be ashamed in the fact that you'll never, you'll never realize, oh, this was just, a, this was just all a big, a, a, big, a big false reality. This is all untrue. This is all just falls apart in the end. When, when the going gets tough, things just fall apart. No, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he is the rock, he is the foundation, and that will never be ashamed. He is a precious stone. And in addition to the Father, Jesus is precious also to the believer. He is precious to you and me. To the one who is born again, we find him precious. He's the honored stone. Verse 7, you get this idea, this understanding. Because the rulers of Israel could see no beauty in this stone, 
They marked him and rejected him as unfit, unfit, unusable. This is not what we wanted. And they cast him away. But God disagreed, didn't he? He saw them as the chief cornerstone. He saw them as the integral portion. God disagreed with their judgment and he honored him as the head of the corner. And then verse 8, you see the stumbling here. A stone of stumbling. And one might think, well, if, if, if Christ is pictured as the chief cornerstone, the integral part of the building, he's the base structure in which the superstructure sets on and connected together, we're all one and the same. He's the head, he's the chief, but then he's a stumbling block, <laughs> or a, a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. How do we reconcile these truths? Well, this, this mentioning of him as a stone of stumbling refers to Christ as an obstacle an obstacle against which the unbelieving kick. This disobedient or, or, or the, the, the disobedient and the unbelieving are incapable of moving aside the stone by their unbelief. Instead, the stone becomes their judge and it moves them aside. You've been hiking and walking somewhere and you go, to, you go to just kick a stone or maybe accidentally stumble on a stone and the stone does not move at all but the toe does a slow motion crumble all up on the stone, right? You know, how the coffee table always jumps out at your toe, those kind of things, the couch at night, whatever. The reference here on this firm foundation is that those who are unbelieving, those who reject him, the gospel, Jesus Christ, his message, he himself is, is something that cannot be moved, but the one that rejects him is moved by that. He cannot be moved. The stone in this case becomes their judge and it moves them aside. These are the descriptions of the building materials in God's master plan to build his church. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ and a healthy disciple, we not only understand the building process, but we understand that we are included in God's master building plan. Isn't that fantastic? We are not only part of it, but we are included in that process. There's another mark, and that is that a healthy disciple recognizes his or her privileges in discipleship. Our privileges as disciples in the discipleship process. Look at verse 5 again, chapter 2, verse 5. He also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We are holy priests. There's a, this idea of holy priests, the priesthood of believers. You may have heard it as someone referenced, and we'd explain this in theological terms. The believer, which means, the priesthood of the believer, it means that the believer is his own priest before God. We referenced this in prayer this morning. There was no go-between. There was no mediator. We can go right to the throne of grace. We can speak directly to God in Jesus' name. And and we do not need a, a mediator except for the great high priest, Jesus. And the fact that believers are priests informs us of our position of honor and our position of responsibility. Our position of honor is the privilege of speaking directly to God without a priest, being our own priest. And the responsibility is because we have that access, implementing that in our lives, in our praying for others, in our praying for this congregation, in our praying for those who we are working to disciple. 
It's our privilege and it is also our responsibility. You know, the priests in the Old Testament were to be holy. They were to be clean. They were to be without blemish. And under the New Covenant and the New Testament, and for us today, in the age of grace, all believers are members of the priesthood and should be holy, should be separated, and should be clean. Look back at verse 1. Understand the things we are to put away. And so we understand the privilege, but we also understand our responsibility. But we're referenced also as royal priests. Look at verse 9 and 10. But ye are chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You're called royalty. You're referred to as royalty in Christ. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Oh, I kind of like the, 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 the uh, um, royal more than the peculiar, right? We'll explain that here in a little moment and debunk some of the, the false understandings of that. A peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, which in time past, remembering back what we were, were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Hmm. Royal priests. Believers, Christians, disciples are a royal priesthood. This combination of responsibility and position was unknown in the Old Testament. It was not understood, but in Christ, believers are made both kings and priests. You might note in the margin of your Bible, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6 reference to this. Revelation 1.6. But in Christ, believers are made both kings and priests. Then we get to this peculiar people, and this means a people of his own possession, that we are his own. We are bought with a price. We are his possession. We are owned by somebody. We are a peculiar people. We are peculiar. One, one could probably rightly say and carry the same meaning, I believe, we are special because we belong to God. We are special because we belong to God. We are a peculiar people. I heard somebody illustrate something like this. It may help give you understanding. You can go to a museum that's got all sorts of objects in it. Hats and canes and coats and bags and, and, and books and all kinds of sort of things. You can find all sorts of, of things, insignificant things in a museum, but what makes them significant is that they belong to somebody important. The reason we see these innate objects in a museum and go, wow, look at that, because it was so-and-so's, it was worn by so-and-so, they used this, it was from here, it was in this place, it's owned by somebody special, and we are a peculiar, special people because we are the Lord's people. We are His as believers we are a peculiar, special people. So this helps us to understand as, we, as a healthy disciple that recognizes his privileges and responsibilities in discipleship. When a healthy disciple recognizes his privileges as a disciple of Jesus Christ, he declares the excellencies of God. He proclaims the truths and the realities of God in our right relationship with him. And then finally this morning in verses 11 and 12, 
Continuing 11 and then finishing in 12 here, we see lastly a healthy disciple embraces his responsibilities in discipleship. This might be a little bit of a refresher this morning. Maybe this is a challenge to the congregation. I trust it is. As we refer to ourselves as disciples, we understand that our primary responsibility as a local church is to glorify God. And in glorifying God, we are disciples making other disciples. And so as we look at ourselves and examine ourselves, we come to a text like this in 1 Peter chapter 2, in the first 12 verses, and we see these marks of a healthy disciple. One who is healthy, and Peter helps us to see these things. We understand as a healthy disciple that we bear a brand new identity. We have a brand new identity. In verse 11, referred to as strangers. Strangers because those who have, strangers are those who, who have no rights or no legal status. Nobody wants to be a stranger, right? From a young child, I was told, stay away from strangers. Don't talk to strangers. Don't get in the van. That's a stranger. We don't know them. Don't answer the door. We're referred to as strangers here. Those are described as, as those that don't have legal rights. They don't have a home. They don't have a place. Well, the word pilgrim, another reference to us here, defines those who are only temporary dwellers in this land, in this world. So we're called strangers. We're called pilgrims. Why? Because it gives us understanding on how we are to live and respond in this world of affliction, this time, this temporal world. You know, we can only abstain from fleshly lusts, as verse 1 calls us to do, as we live as strangers and as we live as pilgrims in this world today. As we we, 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 we become, we, we are healthy disciples as we recognize that this world is not our home. Isn't that wonderful? A wonderful reality to consider when we are living in affliction today. <laughs> not my world. I'm not staying here. <laughs> it helps us have a Biblical worldview perspective on the investments in this world. I'm not talking only financial. I'm talking about all investments and time in the world. We have an eternal view of understanding that this world is only a temporal home. We're a pilgrim. We're a stranger. We're passing through. Our home is in heaven. Peter understands that these fleshly lusts, they war against the soul. But the responsibility of the Christian is to fight against the lusts of the flesh, and, to, and, and the battle continues as long as we live. Disciples bear a new identity, identity as strangers and pilgrims and as a healthy disciple. As hel- healthy disciples, we need to understand this. We also need to understand that disciples bear a new title. When we embrace our responsibilities of discipleship, we we see that we have a new identity, but we also see that disciples bear a new title, and we are ambassadors. Another reference to us. We're explaining it in another way, and it helps us understand. When we understand what an ambassador is and what an ambassador does, we understand we are called ambassadors of our king during our temporary stay on earth. So we're not just here breezing through, and and you're like, Pastor, I know it's not a breeze, but we're not just, just plugging through in this life just trying to survive. But a healthy disciple understands that we are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. So we must display the characteristics which speak well of our king. That's what an ambassador does. Picture an ambassador of a king. 
he shows up and he's visiting. He said, hi, I'm an ambassador of so-and-so. And <laughs> I guess you could call him a king. He's not much of a king. I mean, you know, he's good some of the time. I don't do everything, he says. Good thing he's not listening now. But anyway, I'm here to give you a message. Let's go to lunch. I mean, that's, that's a horrible job of an ambassador. An ambassador not only speaks well of the king, but an ambassador carries himself and conducts him or herself in a way that people say, that must be an ambassador of that king because the way they're walking, the way they're talking, and the way they're living. And their pure testimony in this life speaks well of the king before they even speak. An ambassador of the king abstains from fleshly lusts. Ambassador of the king is keeping their behavior honest. You see, verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Verse 12 says, Having your conversation, that's your conduct, that's how you live, that's your behavior. That's the other's perception of you. How you go about life, how you are at work, how you're at home, how you're with the family. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, even though they speak against us, even though they persecute us, even though the world doesn't want anything to do with us, they may be, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, they see your good works, glorify God in the day of visitation. Our manner of life is honest when our outward conduct accurately reflects that which we have been made inwardly. When our Outward conduct portrays what Christ has done and transformed us to be inwardly. That is when we live in an honest manner. And this kind of God living makes our conduct honorable among those who don't even know God yet. Even those who persecute us. Those of you who work for bad bosses. Those of you who um, uh, um, are forced to pass up things that are due you or owed to you when you are mistreated by others peter calls us as healthy disciplers to use that very opportunity to show our honesty our integrity and to portray the 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 greatness of god in our response to evildoers wrong against us so that and here's where this fits together with making disciples so that when we respond this way, it is for the goal that when we meet our Lord, when we stand before the Lord, those who are against Him because of seeing our conduct and coming to know Christ as our Savior may also be there in right standing before the Lord. May others be led to Christ. May others be made disciples of Jesus Christ because of our conduct in the midst of affliction. Your conduct is a testimony to your coworkers. Your conduct is a testimony to your children. 
Your conduct is a testimony to others and also to the world. And so the idea is that they, the unsaved, might be persuaded to become Christians by seeing the lives of other Christians and that they would glorify God when they meet him instead of cowering before his holy judgment, which would be righteously due them. So when a healthy disciple embraces his or her responsibilities of bearing a new identity and title, others will be led to Christ. These are marks of a healthy disciple. So a healthy disciple of Jesus Christ is a discipler. One who is making other disciples of Christ and a healthy disciple of Christ becomes a discipler when, firstly, we looked at, he is growing. When he understands the building process in discipleship, when he recognizes his privileges in discipleship, and when he embraces his responsibilities in discipleship. These are marks of a healthy disciple. God's plan for his healthy disciples is for them to make other disciples. What marks of a healthy disciple may you be missing this morning? As you honestly evaluate your life, where are you coming up short? Where, where can we work on improvement? We all continue to work on improvement. What changes need to be made in order to be a healthy disciple? We bow your heads with me in prayer this morning. Father, as we close this time together, and as we've just briefly looked at 2 Peter and seen in the midst of his writing to the believers who are undergoing persecution, we see some marks of a healthy disciple. And we know that we are to be making other disciples. But we have been faced with the reality this morning. We've been reminded with reality that there is certain criteria to being a healthy disciple. Lord, I pray that we'd strive to grow, that we would be active, and that we would understand and not waste our affliction by responding incorrectly, but rather see it as a tremendous opportunity to make other disciples, to respond in a way that speaks well of the King, that we are an ambassador of. Lord, for those here this morning that do not know Christ as their Savior, if there's anyone that happens to be in the room, Lord, I do boldly ask that if it's your will, you would do a great work on their heart. That each one that does not know Christ as their Savior here this morning understands that they can place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, be forgiven of their sin as they turn from that sin, acknowledge Christ as their Savior, that they can be born again, they can experience the joy of being included in your master building plan. Thank you for your word this morning. May it do work in our hearts. May this congregation continue to grow. In Jesus' name, amen.